this podcast you already know what band you were listening to you're listening to uh flathead which is uh, uh my favorite local if they were national they would actually be one of my favorite bands uh flathead for many years they broke up got back together and uh this very cool alt country psychedelic hippie uh, uh techno hip-hop punk uh acid bee house band will be at the uh, tempe center of the arts Mar- uh tempe center of the arts march 25th when uh, they will be kicking off the show, Flathead and Funny. So you see Flathead, and opening for them uh, is a uh, uh, farmer guitar player. He's now with a group called Honey Girls. Is that the right? Is that the name of the band, Shirley? Honey Girls Music. Honey Girls, Honey Girls Music. Uh, and uh, their guitarist is a farmer guitarist of the Gin Blossoms. So you'll be able to see uh, a farmer Gin Blossom, a Flathead, and Funny. Someone Funny will be there as well. It's a, uh, it's a pop hybrid show of uh, comedy and music that's march 25th at the tempe center of the arts that's the band you were listening to during the break but we're back now and uh, pleased as punch excited thrilled beyond words a man whose voice is actually in my home usually about three days a week though i didn't realize it harlan williams ladies and gentlemen hello how are you bud we're good man we're good, good. we good. uh harlan and i were catching up uh when he uh, when he came in you um i've always known you as a comic and as a very funny comedic actor in some very funny movies Dumb and Dumber, something about Mary. Always, uh, you've always had those parts that um, are kind of uh, um, parts that stand out. You're like, you're like a, you're not the lead actor, but it's the part that you remember. It kind of jumps out. Uh, you Thank is the you. cop in, uh, uh, is it in Dumb and Dumber? Dumb where you're and the, Dumber, yeah, we're yeah. the cop. So it, it's always it's a, the parts that everybody remembers and talks about. <laughs> Thanks, those man. <laughs> what I didn't know is uh, that um, your voice is in my house about three days a week because I have grandkids, and I'm not afraid to let people know that. Yeah, Because yeah. uh, most people thought I'd be dead by now. Oh, people no. that knew me in the 70s and 80s. No. Uh, but I, I have grandkids, a four-year-old grandson and a six-year-old granddaughter, and they like a show called Jake and the Neverland Pirates, and you're, the vo- you're a voice on that show. Yeah, I do the voice of Captain Frost on Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Yeah, big <laughs> Big Disney show, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like kind of a French Canadian, uh, yes, French Canadian uh, pirate on the the uh, Jake and the Neverland Pirates, yeah. You, <laughs> <laughs> you have your own podcast as well. We want to mention that so people can know, uh, oh, know about that as well. Well, tell us, uh, and, and we'll get that up on our site on oh, ComedySchoolsRadio.com. That's nice. But uh, what is uh, what, tell us about your podcast? Uh, my podcast is called the Harland Highway. And uh, I do it twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. And uh, it's just basically, uh, you know, me talking about things and doing comedy. And I do a lot of characters. I uh, I don't have time to interview people, so I kind of uh, phone myself and do voices and, and characters. Yeah, yeah. It's I a, love that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. I have people like George Michael from Wham calling in. <laughs> I have. Uh, How is George? George is just great. Every, every time he calls my show, he's completely hammered, and he—I uh, don't know if they, are we allowed to get a little we adult yes. on this podcast. We can't. We can this is not Jake and the Neverland Pirates. Okay. Well, okay. Uh, you know, George. George calls in, and uh, the last time he called in, you know how a lot of celebrities have like food 
products, you know, like like uh, you know Paul Newman's uh, own lemonade and things like that. Sure, Dr- uh, salad dressing. Yeah, a lot a lot of celebrities have this. So uh, recently, George Michael called in to tell me about his his new uh, his new celebrity food item, and uh, he called in, and I go, "What do you got, George?" He goes, uh, "Look, Colin, I got a new food item. It's uh, George Michael's tea bags." <laughs> and if, if you like tea, we've got George Michael's tea bags, Holland. So he, he called in to tell me all about those and just ridiculous things. Have you, have you tried this tea? I haven't had a George Michael tea bag yet, but it sure sounds refreshing. I, I hear that uh, you know how some things are more popular and, and then they're less popular. I hear those tea bag. I hear his tea was more popular in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, 90s, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people were uh, looking for his tea bag then, but not as much now. No, no. So I don't know how that product will do, but uh, you know. And I have uh, I have a bunch of other characters. Uh, recently, Bernie Saunders has been calling into the show. Yeah. Well, he, he, he calls in and he kind of, uh, you know, I always say that Bernie reminds me of that guy we all have in our neighborhood, the old guy that walks around in his underwear. Yes. Like just rambling. So uh, so Bernie calls in and I'm like, uh, Bernie, you know, what's, uh, what's your kind of political platform? And he's like, uh, well, Holland, uh, let me tell you this. Uh, <laughs> I believe as president of the United States of America that the world is made of cauliflower uh walruses are our friends my wife likes to knit onion rings and of course most importantly welcome to applebee's (laughs) so so i just i just my podcast is full of like crazy characters and stuff like that so yeah check it out at harlemwilliams.com or uh itunes and uh we have a new uh, a new uh, app. You can uh, go on your app and uh, type in the Harland Highway and get get the show for your phone. It's all free, so cool. Thank we, you. We're gonna get we, we'll get all the, we'll get all that up and out. We have a Thank we you. have a uh, we have a, a weekly e blast that goes out to uh, fifty four thousand comedy patrons oh, in the wow. uh, Greater Phoenix area, and That's I'll make sure big, that it yeah. gets mentioned there. Uh, you know, it's funny what you said about Bernie Sanders because I hadn't been paying. I'd been. I, I'm a political hobbyist, okay. You know, and uh, but I'd been paying t- attention to him, going, he's not going to win. But I, I've been watching a little more seriously now, and I actually made that remark to somebody. I go, he reminds me of the old guy in the neighborhood screaming at you if you're driving too fast. Yeah. But then you listen to him; he's a very intelligent guy. Yeah, he you is. Know? Yeah, he is. yeah. And and what he says uh, makes sense. I watched him. I watched him go toe to toe with Chris Matthews last night. Okay. From Hanba. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I watched the Republican debate last night uh, because we've switched cable providers and don't have as many channels as we used to. Okay. So my choices were limited. Yeah. Uh, say yes to the dress wasn't on because that would have been my first choice over the Republican oh, debate. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Did you watch the Republican debate? I watched. I did watch parts of it. Yeah, I was actually on stage last night, so I couldn't see all of it. But I watched like the first hour, a little over an hour. Now you you were you were originally uh, you were born in Canada. Yes. But you are a U.S. citizen. Yes. But you were raised primarily in in Canada. Uh, till I was about twenty seven. Yeah. That would, yeah. Yeah, would be primarily, I think. Primarily. Yeah. yeah. I'm, just, I'm <laughs> kind of a you know immature guy, so maybe uh, you know, I guess. <laughs> what was your? <laughs> Excuse Ma- you. Make yourself at home. <laughs> Sorry. No problem. <laughs> what was your? <laughs> I was saying in the elevator on the way up to Mandy yeah. that uh, that uh, you know the nose should be an instrument in an orchestra. Like, yes, you know there should be a guy that's just like 
you know. Hey, like in a jug band or something. Yeah, like yeah. he gets conducted, you know. It's like, why not? Some guy's like blowing into a jug, another yeah. guy's banging Some on a wall. guy's washboard. really good on his nose. Guy's doing a comb. And yeah. A guy, and, and on nose. Harley yeah. Williams. Yeah. Anyways, I interrupted you with my nose instrument. Please. <laughs> well, I do okay. want to point out, though, we're still we're upset with Mandy. We, we are. Yeah, we are, yeah. Yeah, and you know why I'm, you, and you know why I'm upset. Okay? Yeah, she was she she uh, uh she brought her she has a baby. A, yes. re- a really cool little baby. Yeah. And uh who was it? Sarah Tiana was in and you brought your baby with you. And uh and the baby was kind of like running loose and it, it's a beautiful baby cuz it's it's like it looks like a little man. Oh it, wow! It, it doesn't quite. Her like baby a, doesn't quite look like a baby. Like a Benjamin Button's. Kid. Yeah, yes, wow. exactly. And he's the coolest little guy. And he was in here, and I and I'm interviewing Sarah, but I didn't really really care because I like babies, and and so I told her she could bring the baby anytime. And since then, she's never <laughs> brought the baby. Oh. And I want to know: has this got something to do with me? No. 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 no? It's. I mean, I have to find comics that will be okay with it. Oh. Just like. Did Harlan say no baby? And no. Harlan, did Harlan say, look, I do voices on kids' shows. That doesn't mean I want to see kids no, all day. Chicky baby. I hate kids. That Don't kid would have been all over me. He would have been like, just <laughs> wanted to do selfies and autographs. I'm like, come on, kid. i got to focus, man. <laughs> uh, Shirley, can you uh, I take a little production note here? Can you step out to the uh, – this is our final day in this office. We're changing offices. Oh, wow. We'll be off next week, and then we're going to move to an, an office okay. here in, in the, in the uh, area. In the greater Scottsdale area, but this is our last. You are our final guest here oh. at the uh, ComedySchools.com studios. Okay. At the second coolest corner in all of Scottsdaleville, Goldwater and Camelback. Oh, I now wow. lose. I now lose that handle because we're moving. Because it's uh, it's just um, you wouldn't believe what we pay for this place. So. Oh wow. You know, but Creepy. we're we're moving to another place, probably with the same company, but nearby. So wow, uh, cool. We were talking about something for Mandy interrupted. She all she wants to talk about is her baby. Oh yeah, I think we were talking. You were talking about the debate last night. Yes, and you watched the debate. You originally, when I'm watching the when I I remember uh, at one time you you'd see like these little videos of like third world countries that had a parliament, but they would end up like fist fighting and beating each other. Yeah, up right, and, right. Or having sex at the podium. Yeah, right. And we would laugh because yeah. we were going. Obviously, these people don't know how to run a democracy or a republic. Sure. That's what last night looked like to me. Yeah, it did it in a way. Yeah, yeah. They were they were just kind of like grown men yelling and and you know, they weren't listening to each other. They were just kind of seeing who could talk over each other the most. You know, but to me, in a way, that was just Marco Rubio. You know, in a last desperate attempt to try and get some kind of traction. You yeah, know, yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, you know, if if you, if you wanted to prove the point that you know how to you know yell or, or talk louder than another man, I guess he was effective. But I don't know that it really changed, you know, his stature to anybody uh, watching. But maybe it did. Who knows? I think he's probably. I, I I think I at one time everybody was like, "There's no way Donald Trump can win the Republican nomination." Right. He's a sideshow. It's a clown right. car. I am now of the opinion, the strong opinion, that Donald Trump, unless the Republican Party just goes, no, you can't, you know, if they treat Donald Trump the way white people used to treat black people, yeah. well, if you do all this, then you could come to this school. Well, I've done all of it, sir. Well, yeah. you still can't come. 
It's yeah. supposed, if the Republican Party shows its true colors and, and he wins all the delegates and goes, we're going to find a different way, he is the Republican nominee. Do you think so? Yeah, I, I hope so because it, it's like all the all the people you just mentioned, the establishment, the GOP, the mm-hmm. the media, the, 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 you know, the snooty upper crust at the, the New York newspapers and all, yeah. all these people that think they should be telling the rest of the country how to think and how to vote and which way to go and here's a guy that that truly is is somehow creating the the voice of the people to come together he's he's managed he's managed to actually get people uh to be passionate about him whether you like him or not and yeah. i find that fascinating because i find most elections people get kind of get behind a party they don't really get behind a person and it seems like he's a guy that's getting people up off their asses and and making them interested and and i think he represents a lot of people's disenchanted voices and uh, i think i think you know whether you like him or hate him i think that's very important to the system so you know i I, uh, listen to what you said i feel like i can ask you this question because you're a little deeper in the paint than some um, there are many disenchanted people in the United States right now. Yeah. Okay. But do you think that these people are disenchanted? You, uh, you, you're in the entertainment business. You, you know the you know the power of being able to walk on stage and, and put together two sentences and change people's mood. Right. Because that's what you do with a joke. Sure. Okay. So we, we so those of us that have been in the comedy business know the power of the stage, of the microphone, of the camera. Um, so going from that to then news media social media do you think people are disenchanted because there's truly something to be disenchanted about or do you think that certain media forces have been constantly force feeding them you should be unhappy you should be unhappy no i think there's something to be disenchanted about because if you look at the stagnant political system when you look at you look at a, a system that on its surface seems corrupt it seems uh, self-absorbed it seems like you know two parties that seem to be you know in the schoolyard trying to outdo each other and are more interested in in you know one upping each other than they are in helping average Americans you know get further in life and 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 do things. I I think uh, I, I I think that you know a guy like Trump comes along and 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 kind of blows all of them out of the water. They all seem to be cut from the same cloth, you know. And and Trump's just kind of this this guy that's standing on his own. And uh, you know maybe people believe that he's going to make a difference, you know. I I certainly believe that the people who um, he if he becomes president. He will make a difference. Now, whether yeah. that's a positive or negative difference is is probably a, a matter of debate. Yeah. You know, what it would be like to have someone who, um, uh, when people ask me about uh, Hillary Clinton, for instance, I go, I, I don't I don't vote, I say I don't vote party. I voted for, you know, uh, one, one party more than others. I voted third party in my life, et cetera. Sure. But uh, I think that we need someone who, uh, it, <laughs> this is this is my, the president of the United States should be someone who can order the murder of someone halfway around the world, walk in the next room, parting, pardon the Thanksgiving turkey, pat the kids on the head as they're walking through the Capitol, and then be able to go to sleep without without having one nightmare. You, right. need, you need someone who can do that. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, you need, what Harry Truman said when he, when he uh, dropped the bomb on Hiroshima, he goes, how'd you feel afterwards? He goes, I didn't miss a wink of sleep. 
Yeah, right. You know, you, you need that, and, yeah. and and Hillary Clinton is that man. <laughs> That's, oh, God, that, yeah. When I look, I go, this is the person who, and she also knows where the bodies are buried. Lyndon Johnson knew where the bodies were buried. Right, right. Lyndon Johnson could call up a senator and go, I hope you'll be voting with us on this bill. And go, well, I don't think I can, President. Go, oh, let me ask you a question. Is that lovely secretary still working for you? The one that takes you, that you take with the, with you to the trips of Europe all the time. <laughs> well, perhaps I could look at the bill again, yeah. Mr. President. So he knew how to twist arms. He knew right. how to get things done. It's what John Kasich said in debate last night. He goes, one of his takes on Obama was, he goes, you don't have this argument about this cell phone on the New York Times. You put two guys in a room, lock a door and go, we're going to straighten this out. Yeah, right, right. So Donald Trump might make a difference, but... Do you think it'll make a good difference or a bad difference? I, th- I, you know, I think it's yet to be determined. But mm-hmm. the fact that the keyword is a difference, because mm-hmm. what we've had is a flatline system for what I think is a long time, mm-hmm. and 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 I think a guy like like Trump is like a grenade that kind of blows up the system. He's like an icebreaker. He's like plowing through a a frozen sheet of ice and breaking it up into pieces and. Hopefully, when the pieces fall together, it's it's good, but it may be worse. But it's worth four years of that experiment to to shake up a system that I think is just sour and stale. And you know, at the end of the day, politics is deal making. You know, yes. it, it's it's about negotiating. It's about making deals with the economy. It's about making deals with the military. It's about making deals with other countries around the world. It's all deal making, and you can't deny that this guy has spent and built his career being an expert deal maker and so I'd rather see a deal maker behind the desk in the Oval Office than a community organizer or or uh, an ex-president's wife who kind of got there riding her husband's coattails so you know I'd take the deal maker uh, any day you know okay. Yeah. Well, you know, on that, I, you know, I, I think that we have a, a, a disagreement on. Uh, I think Hillary Clinton's a deal maker too because she's been, you know, she was, you know, she was the wife of a governor and she was there, you know, where the game was afoot. She was the wife of a president. She was uh, a United States senator and uh, um, and the head of the State Department. No, go ahead, anytime. Sorry. Okay. All right. <laughs> so let me ask you this now: uh, Do you follow Canadian politics at all? <laughs> Not really. No? Does anybody? <laughs> no, but I, 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 I have uh, most of my friends from Canada, and I have, uh, I have a, a lot of uh, Canadian friends. I can only name one off the top of my head right now, but uh, are progressive liberals. Most of the Canadians that I have met who've uh, come to the United States and then work, you know, in the entertainment business. That's right. Uh, but there's one uh, somewhere, I think, in Edmonton named Des Reed. I only know him from Facebook. Who is like this extreme right wing Canadian? Who makes good points and just currently just hates the government, but we don't know anything about Canadian politics. Yeah, yeah. I, you guys could be socialist, liberal. Fascist. Well, right now the Liberal Party is is uh, Justin Trudeau is the Prime Minister, and Justin Trudeau is the son of a former Prime Minister yeah. Pierre Trudeau sure. from the Liberal Party, whose wife slept with Mick Jagger. That's right. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That's what Canada is really known. That's for. what it's known for. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, my father used to be a, a Canadian mm-hmm. politician. So yeah, I we read grew, that. I grew up in that environment, and. Uh, my dad was the solicitor general, which here would, I guess the counterpart would be the attorney general here. But up there they call call him the, the solicitor general. I was so. busted for soliciting once. Is that the same thing? <laughs> was it in general? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, there's Queenie, I think. Oh, so, uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So, so you were raised around politics. Yeah, yeah. Did I that color up. your view of politicians in general? Uh, well, it kind of gave me a peek behind the curtain at the lifestyle and, and you know, the kind of the, the hoops they have to jump through and the demands yeah. of, of being a politician. Yeah, I mean, I definitely was there and participated in, in my dad's elections and things like that. So, um, but it doesn't mean I was ever overly political. In fact, probably the opposite, you know, I just. As the son of a politician, um, and uh, I was reading about your mother, who was uh, um, also a uh, a very uh, some a dignified kind of uh, uh, profession. Yeah, was it social work? Was it? She was a social worker. She was a marriage counselor. She was a teacher. She was an author. She was a singer. My mom. My mom wore many many hats. She she uh, tried a lot of things. So so is is this is the son of a of a prominent politician. And of an accomplished uh, woman, when you said uh, I want to be a stand-up comic, how did that go over? <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a bit mystifying to the folks. Yeah. I, th- I think they, they, you know, obviously they came from a more conservative world, and I think they thought I was going to be like a, t- you know, a teacher, or a lawyer. Or yeah. My dad actually wanted me to be a priest at one point. Yeah. And then, uh, are even- you Catholic? Yeah, because yeah. that would be a big yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. and then what was really weird is we we were Canadian, but my dad for some reason expressed to me when I was young, he's like, "Son, I'd like you to join the American military," and I was like, "Wait, <laughs> but I'm Canadian." He's like, "So I, that one always mystified me." Yeah. So either a priest or a soldier is what my dad <laughs> always wished on you. me. Yeah, yeah. When they laid in bed at night and talked about you, the way, do you have children now? No. Okay, no. but if you have children, you, you will lay around and and, yeah. and, you, and you're really looking at their future. And, and at some point, everybody goes, my kid can grow up be president or my kid is the smartest. But at some point, you go, probably a trade for this one or yeah, this right. one college. This one will be good in relationships. Yeah. I remember my father talking about uh, one of my youngest siblings going, we'll be taking care of him the rest of our lives. And they did. Oh, wow. Uh, they had to, you know. Okay, yeah. So Special uh, needs? No. Yeah, uh, special special drug problems. Oh, okay. So, uh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, just one of those guys. You yeah, know? sure. Uh, the guy who moves into mom's basement to help her out. Yeah, so, right. Help her out of her prescription pain medication. There you go. So, ah. so they when you became a stand-up comic... They were like, how about that? Or how did they go? What I think they were just uh, mystified. They were a little confused. I, I don't think it really registered with them that you could make a living being yeah. a stand-up comedian, especially in Canada where when I started in stand-up, there was really uh, only one comedy club in the whole country. Yeah. This was before you know the big stand-up boom. And so even I was like a bit mystified. I was like, what am I getting into here? Like, what, what are the odds of me breaking through in an industry where there's one club? Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're Canadian, you can't just waltz down into the States and work. You can't do it without paperwork and stuff. So so uh, I was a bit mystified as to, you know, what the journey would be like. But I, I felt deep inside that I, I somehow was going to be able to do it. So. So you started, uh, what city did you start in? Toronto. Yeah. Started in Toronto? Yeah. Okay, and because uh, um, I uh, I knew Billy Reback. Uh, Billy Reback was the first one to take me to okay, Canada. yeah. Yeah, Billy, and this is like in, around 1986. We, yeah. We went and worked some club in Edmonton, and there was a giant indoor mall, and someone had just fallen out of the roller coaster. Yeah, right. That's what yeah, I remember. Yeah, the West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. 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 So, Huge. Uh, yeah, so uh, I went up there, and I, I played Toronto a few times. Why do you think... Um, 
here's a here's a question I always ask someone from Canada. So many funny people that uh, Americans love. You being one of them, uh, everybody sees you. Fantastic show, just funny as hell, man. Thank just you. Funny Thank as hell, you, you know. Uh, and and uh, but so many funny people. Next week, I, I was supposed to interview him yesterday, but he's a friend of mine, so I could put him off. A man named Jeff Abagov, who was exec producer in Roseanne at one time. Okay. Uh, uh, and Grace Center Fire has just written his first novel. Uh, only, like many Canadians, he doesn't quite get it totally. I told him I'd put him on my show, and he told me I had to read the whole book first. And I go, I don't have time to read your whole book. Yeah, right. But yeah. he won't come on my show until I read his whole book. Oh, jeez. But uh, Powerpuss. And he actually complained. He goes, he goes, you know, I when I when I made my he made a movie a few years ago, and he goes, he goes, I would be interviewed, and I knew they hadn't seen the whole movie. Yeah. It, it would upset me. I go, they're interviewing you. You're getting publicity. Yeah. But he's he's very persnickety that way. Oh, yeah. nobody reads anything. I mean, yeah. I, I went in for I went into some pro producers for a movie I'm trying to get made in Hollywood recently. And we sat down for a meeting with these producers to talk about getting the movie made. And 10 minutes in, I asked, like, the lead person there if they read the script. And they're like, no. <laughs> and I'm like, so we're having a meeting about a movie that we all want to make, and you haven't even read it. And it, it's just like nobody reads anything. No, no. Right. But for me to have Jeff on, he'll talk to you. He'll, he'll call me at night at 11 o'clock at night and go, I'm day one, girl. But I like another girl. This man's in his fifties. I go. Yeah. We, we need to be past this. Yeah. But he'll talk to me about that all night. But then I go. I went. In, I went to interview about your book. He goes. Well, you got to read it first. I'm like. Eh. Oh, jeez. He's a funny man. Uh, Billy Rebeck was one of the first funny Canadian people. I when I got. Uh, you know, uh, so many funny people from Canada. So many of the second city people. Yeah. What is it about Canadians, and comedy that makes so many of you so good at it? I have a theory, but I want to hear what you. Um, I think I think we, you know we grew up on a on a mixture of like you know we're kind of in the middle between the United Kingdom and the U.S. Uh -huh. and so we kind of grew up on on a mixture of that you know the kind of more uh, wacky over the head comedy of the U.S. Uh -huh. and and then kind of the more subtle absurd comedy of of you know England uh -huh. and then Canadians kind of being in kind of a unique you know isolated cold world created our own sensibility and it's kind of like a mishmash of of you know the british influence the american influence and our own influence so maybe maybe we're funny because you know instead of just you know being born in in, in a country and having our own influence come up out of the ground we we had a little bit of other influences mixed in so it, it added to it you know kind of like right. uh that's right kind of like uh, uh how rock and roll is a mix of uh, gospel and blues and country that it's a hybrid of yeah the, yeah so maybe that, I like that. that gave I like us that. a bit of a, a yeah. different edge or a different you know type of you know thing like that it's weird I, you know what, I, that, that makes absolute sense. My theory for a long time was what I called the uh, uh, Frank Capra theory. So oh. Frank Capra, who was a brilliant director. Yeah. You know. Uh, a wonderful life, It's a right? wonderful life, yeah, so many things, was uh, uh, an immigrant, you know, as was Mike Nichols, you know, although he was very young when, when he came over. So um, the first time you come to Phoenix, you've never been to Phoenix, you notice all the cactus. You notice the interesting thing about Phoenix. Yeah. Yet if you live in Phoenix all the time, you don't notice the, anymore. It's right. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I yeah. watched him build the arch. I never went up in the arch. Nobody yeah. in St. Louis gives a damn about the arch. Yeah. If you're not from St. Louis, then people go, oh, you got that arch. So for me, uh, what I thought might be part of it is Canadians were able to come to America 
and kind of point out to Americans things that we don't even notice about ourselves anymore. They were able to highlight the humorous things within our culture in a way that we don't see because it's right in front of us all the time. That could be that could be part of it. I don't I don't know about that from my own point of view. I don't know if that's accurate, but I think another hidden part of it is that you know the journey to get to America for Canadian comedians is was not necessarily easy because mm-hmm. you know w- you know it's expensive to do the the paperwork and and to get an American manager or talent agency you know you got to remember you're in a different country so we had you know especially grow in the 80s and the 90s you didn't really have exposure to the big players down in the states so yeah. i think what happened is a lot of Canadians like myself and Jim Carrey and Howie Mandel and Norm Macdonald and Mike Myers, all these guys, you know, you get what was called a three-year work visa yeah. to start. That was, the, that was the beginning. And so I think a lot of us, I know in my case, is like, man, I got three years to pop. And so when we, when a lot of us Canadian guys got over the border, we went like hell because we it was almost like we we're on a time constraint. Ah. And so, so, so the 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 I, at least for me, the pressure I put on myself and the desire and the drive I put on myself to just you know make a statement or get noticed was like really intense. And I, I have a feeling with a lot of the other Canadian guys, it was maybe the same way and maybe that helped that drive sure. helped maybe push us to the top or something i don't know but that could be part of it no that makes sense if you sit around and go well i got all the time in the world look at look at uh, rodney dangerfield he didn't make it till he's in his 50s yeah which is the mentality it was the mentality of a lot of guys that i started with you know and and that story kind of gives you a, a bit of comfort all right, well, I'm not making it, I'm not making it, but Rodney made it in his 50s. Yeah. But the flip side of that might be that it does take away a bit of your drive, where if you go three years and out, three years and yeah. you leave, not only, not only are you out of the business, you're out of the nation. Well, and also, you know, like in my case, and I think a lot of guys' cases, when we did come down for those three years, you know, we came down early in our careers, so we didn't come down with a lot of money or a lot of, you know, nobody knew us. So, yeah. for example, when I came down to the States, when I moved to Hollywood, I think I had about $20,000 to my name. Yeah. And I knew one guy in Hollywood that was like kind of a low-level manager, and that was it. And so after getting a car and an apartment and insurance and, and you know, basically I, I figured my 20 grand lasted maybe two, three years. So, so, yeah. so it's like... You made 20 grand last two or three years in Hollywood. No, no. What yeah. I mean is I took all the money I'd made in Canada uh, okay. over, over my whole career. Yeah. I brought all my life savings down to Hollywood with me. Uh-huh. And by the way, lost some of that in the exchange with the sure. exchange rate so so you know you're coming out with all your life savings you got three years and you're just going 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 because if, if you don't pop you're going home broke with nothing and you know you've lost three years that you could have sure. been making movement in your own country so i think that might have had a lot to do with it too that desire to it's kind of like a sports team it's like being in the juniors and then you get sent up to the big leagues and you have to prove yourself. Yeah. And so Canadian comedians have, have like that little window to kind of go, hey, I can I can play with the big boys 
And if you're lucky, you do. Unfortunately, in my case and a lot of those other guys, we, we were able to pop through. There's guys that don't, which is sad, but, but you know, a lot of us do. And so maybe that's why you have a high ratio of these Canadian comedians that, that made it, you know. Did you, uh, when you came to Los Angeles, so you, you went from Canada to Los Angeles. You didn't go to Canada to New York. No, I went right to L.A. Right you know? to L.A. So, and then in that time, so we're talking the mid-80s, early 80s? Yeah, it was like probably around 80, 88. Okay. Yeah. Did you did you get caught up in that thing where you had to, because uh, this happened, there's situations in this city for local comics, not so much for, for others, where if you go to one club, they won't let you come to their club. Uh, right, right. Uh, and, and and people go, why are they like that? I go, well, all people are like that if they're put in that situation. Because in Los Angeles, you had this situation for a long time between the comedy store and the improv. Right. So did you did you work one of those two clubs? Was one of those your home clubs or? No, it's funny. I had a lot of balls as a, as a young guy. Like I I basically told everyone right out of the gate. I, I I said, look, I'm in this to make people laugh. I'm not in this for politics. If there's a stage and a microphone, that's that's what that's what I'm doing. You know, uh-huh. that's my uh, that's my kind of world. Is that your, is that your phone? That's again? my phone. That's right. Do you have to take that? Go ahead. No, I'm turning it off. Sorry about that. <laughs> yeah, no, it's fine. It's probably immigration. Uh, <laughs> my, your, your, sir, your three years is up. Um, but uh, but but uh, so, so I I even when I came to Hollywood, I anyone who wanted to work with me, I told them right out of the gate. I said I'm going to work wherever I want, and I was just kind of ballsy that way because I I, I refused to be limited. You know, I wasn't going to limit myself because of politics. You know, and I even sure. went through that with with the Tonight Show and Letterman. It was uh, I remember Jay Leno. Um, I did Letterman before I did uh, before I did. The Tonight Show. Yeah. And I remember driving home from the airport after the gig, and I was in the, the town car, and my fo- cell phone rang, and it was Jay Leno. And he's like, hey, hey, Holland, it's Jay. And I'm like, hey, Jay, what's up? And he goes, yeah, you know, I heard you did the uh, you know Letterman show. And uh, and uh, I, I said, yeah. And, and so we started talking, and, and so he said, you know, why don't you come in and, and talk to me? And so I, I, I went to the Tonight Show like the next day or something and kind of like, almost like going to the principal's office like yeah. i got there i was standing there in front of jay leno in his office and you know he was pissed that i did letterman first wow and and but no he was great jay was great i i said the same thing to him i just you know like i said i've always had balls about it i said jay i said i'm sorry if you're pissed that i did letterman first that that had nothing to do with me that was all my managers that arranged that stuff i didn't make that call I said, I said, look, man, I said, I would love to do your show. My, my mission in life is to get in front of as many people as possible and make them laugh. I said, I'm not in this for the politics. I said, I really want to do your show. I want to be on The Tonight Show. I did Letterman first. I said, if you don't let me do The Tonight Show, I think you're just depriving people of my, of my comedy. And I said, I would love to do The Tonight Show. I said, if you don't let me or don't want me to, I think that's sad. But I'm going to do, I'm going to go wherever people will let me laugh. And I think Jay really respected that. And I ended up doing The Tonight Show, I think, I don't know, maybe 25, 30 times. Yeah, so, you, were on, you were on that a lot. Yeah. You know, you, you hear, uh, I knew Jay a long time ago 
um, I had met him before I was a comic because he was everywhere all the time. He'd be in a Ralph's on uh, like Santa Monica Boulevard and yeah. Jay Leno with his pipe. And it, the first thing he always asked you, because I met him like three or four times before I became a comic. And he go, hey, Jay Leno. And he'd look at me and go, where are you from? Where are you yeah, from? Because yeah. then he would start talking about your city. That was his right, way right. Of, of ingratiating himself and not having to talk to you as well. If you were just some stranger running up to him on the street. Yeah. But uh, when I became, one morning I got a call and uh, and it was my wife at the time uh, wakes me up and goes, Jay Leno's on the phone. I went, shut up. It was like 11 or noon, so I wasn't quite ready to get out of bed yet. And she goes, Jay Leno is on the phone. And I picked up Jay going, hey, Tony, uh, Rich Schneider gave me one of your jokes. Very funny. You got any more? And uh, for, <laughs> for a long time, I had a time that I called Jay Leno and pitched jokes. Yeah, right. Like, All right, what do you got? And he was very businesslike. Yeah. And I learned more from those f- short few-minute phone calls about writing than I did from doing open mic nights or working a bunch of gigs down south. Because he would, he would turn, when he turned down a joke, he'd go, now, and I would try to explain a joke. No, and he'd go, and then I'm trying to explain a joke to Jay Leno, and he'd go, and I said no. And he, yeah. would, he would be almost like a jerk about it, but then he'd stop and go, let me explain to you why I'm saying no. Yeah. And, yeah. Then, he, and then he would lay it out for me, and uh, it, it was quite an exercise. There were those, I think a lot of people, there. you hear those two stories about Jay. There was the business and personal guy, the very sensitive artist yeah. who would be upset because someone did David show first. And then right. on the other side was the guy who helped so many comics, yeah. knew so much about it, and that if you really talked to him like a person, then you, you really saw the, this wonderful guy. I tell young comics... I go, if you want to see a comic, and Harlan Williams isn't in town, uh, if you want to see a comic, if you want to see a stand-up, what stand-up's supposed to be, go see Jay Leno's stand-up show. Yeah, it right. Is, it is a sight to behold. Yeah, he's a real technician. And, and, and yeah, you're right about the two sides of Jay. And at the, you know, at the end of our conversation, I thought it was really cool that he was just, you know, he listened to what I had to say about my, like I said, you know, not not getting involved in the politics and just wanting to make people laugh and wanting a stage to do that. And the fact that he he was able to recognize that that was my passion and that's what I wanted, it was really, you know, it was gracious of him to say, you know what, I get it. And like I said, he had me on his show all the time. So it was really cool. I, I want to I touch on a, a couple of things real quick, if, if you have time. And, and yeah, Are you sure, ill? Yeah. Do you have SARS? Or do you no, have I, sort I of think Canadian? I have allergies. It's, uh, it's the, uh, it's, it's the, uh, the warm, like I got cacti dust up my nose or something. You know what's great for a lot of the allergies here in Phoenix? If someone brings their baby with them, the baby kind of gets rid of the allergies, but no one brings their baby to our studio I always find anymore. a beautiful, like, tanned 25-year-old blonde helps me with my allergies. Yeah. So if, if one of those are listening. Yeah, I, yeah. I wouldn't. I would then have to remain allergic. So, <laughs> uh, honk. <laughs> so, uh, uh, you, uh, let me ask you this. Uh, you then str- strike me as someone, when you came to Hollywood, you didn't get caught up in any of the shit. You didn't cut up in the drugs or the alcohol. No, or never. With, with never. so many people in our in our industry... Uh, a lot of people are, are, are have that predilection anyway before they enter it. Sure. But uh, then someone said, why do so many comics have drug and alcohol problems? They go, we got to understand for a comic, every night, Saturday night. It's not going out once a week. You are every night, Saturday night, because you're doing a show yeah. every night. So you're going to have a couple drinks. Someone's got this. Someone's got that. But you never succumbed to any of that. No, my my drug was just hearing laughs. Like, I, yeah. that was my, my – I was just driven. I was just driven to, you know, just just, you know – power through and my 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 dream was always to be on you know letterman and the tonight show and that that was my goal and i said if i can get there i'm i'm done 
like everything else is gravy. And then when I did those shows, all all my movie work and all the yeah. other stuff, my sitcoms, everything I've done has literally just been bonus. Like I didn't I didn't really plan for that stuff, but my my target was you know my focus was to get on Letterman and the Tonight Show and do my stand up, and so I didn't have time for drugs or alcohol or any of that stuff. I just focused on my work, you know. Now, and, and, and I want to ask you this because uh, reading about you and getting uh, you know, uh, first off, you did, you did a, a real solid for me uh, a number of years ago, and I just want to mention this. Uh, many years ago, another club in town with Mark Anderson who uh, kind of started the improv franchise. Right, yeah. Uh, and uh, he was running the club here in Tempe before uh, he, he sadly uh, left us. Uh, he loved this local comedy scene here. Yeah. And actually had a room next to his club that he then built another room, 185-seat room. And he and I had had dinner. I'd known him since the 80s, and I was here in town. He goes, will you help us? Will you, Tony, will you help us run this thing? Because there's a lot of good people here. So I'm running this side room for him along with other things. And every once in a while, we would ask the performers on the main stage if they come over, and we get a lot of, uh, uh, but you actually, we didn't, we were going to ask. Before we would ask, you came in the room, and you went, what's going on in here? And it was a very <laughs> funny way you said it, you know. It was like I sort of a sick, hey, what's going on in here? What's in this box? Uh-oh. And uh, I started talking to you, and I thought, I don't know if this guy's going to tell me, you know, kiss his ass or whatever. And uh, you said, uh, you want me to do some time? And, and the audience had come out to see local performers, who were good, yeah. but they knew it. And then you went up and just, it was like this big bonus. It was like being at a New York club and you're watching. It would be like, it's, it's like uh, uh, if I went to see the Grateful Dead and all of a sudden, you know, uh, Winston, Winston, one time Winston Marcellus showed up playing saxophone with yeah. the dead. It was like, oh, wow, this is like extra. Yeah, you know? yeah. And uh, you put on a great show and you, and you, you. took time. You talked to a lot of local comics. You left with someone to help you with your allergies, if I remember correctly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, that was a good round of allergies there. <laughs> so you you just like doing stand. You love doing stand-up. Well, it's like I said it earlier. It's like I, if you, I want a stage and a microphone and to be in front of people. And, and you know, when I walked into your room, I, I saw people. I saw a stage. <laughs> I saw a microphone. I said, let's go. Yeah. And what's fun is is the reason i like to do different venues is you know next to your room was the big room or i was yeah. the headliner and there was 400 people in there it was sold out yeah but then i walk into your room where it's smaller it was candles as you yeah. said i think it was like 180 people yeah. and i guess what i never told you is that that night i totally went up in front of your crowd and pretty much improvised and did material that I would never do in the other room. And and that's what I love about getting up on different stages because you try different things. Yeah. And, and what was really gratifying for me is even though I did new material and, and improvised material, it went over really well with that crowd. And, and it was a great, you know, it's just a great opportunity and a moment to just keep you know ratcheting up my my experiences and my material so i i do that all the time i love it you know that's one of the great things do you, do you still go up in los angeles always gonna, always it's one of the great anywhere thing about yeah. los my first comedy show i saw in los angeles was in uh, the late 70s i was going for a walk i just moved there and i found myself in front of the comedy store and i went oh wow and uh, my first show was uh, uh, Leno and Letterman and Johnny wow. Dark and Tom Dreesen and Jimmy Walker and Jeff Altman and 
you know, and I, I think I think Mick was in the room in the back, you know, and it was just uh, you know, yeah. this is and you, you can have that experience in Los Angeles. Yeah, where you go yeah. in uh, and see a, a multitude. I want to ask you, but before we get to that, I want to I want to tell people where you are, uh, and uh, I want to talk about Rick for a moment. We uh, we have a debate going on because uh, we know Rick and we like Rick a lot. Okay. Uh, he owns Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, yeah, which is at 5350 East High Street, yeah, okay, in Phoenix. He owns that. The question is, but he'd been living, he'd been coming out here for many years. He had a house out here, yeah. The question is, was he driving down the street and saw a place called Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, and his ego demanded him to buy it, <laughs> or if he named it Rick Bronson's House of Comedy? And yeah. he's a Canadian. You're a Canadian. Yeah. Do you know the answer to this question? I think it's probably he just built it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The odds of seeing a comedy club with your name on it are pretty slim, but yeah. you never know. It's a yeah. weird world. Yeah. Well, there's like Harlan Clark business cards or something. And he, sure, yeah, I own that. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's mine. Uh, Rick's coming and done the show a lot. I actually went up and, and met Rick while he was building the club. Oh, uh, cool. And uh, you talk about uh, uh, picky in a cool way. Yeah, that he made. Uh, if if you haven't been to uh, Rick Bronson's house of comedy this weekend, is an excellent time to go because you can see a great headliner. And uh, what I like about this particular club, and I haven't been to his Minnesota club or his uh, Edmonton club, although everybody just waxes poetic about those places. Yeah. Uh, what I like about this club is that if you were out for an evening, if you and your wife were out for an evening, and, and you're going to spend some bucks, the minute you walk into place, you go, no matter what goes on, we're going to have a good time because this is a cool place. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And, yeah I, I think he sets he's, he kind of sets a new standard for comedy clubs. Yeah, he really uh, kind of puts a modern spin on it. It feels modern. It feels, you know, you go into some stand-up clubs and they still feel like the 1980s, but he kind of has more of, it's kind of like the iPhone of comedy clubs. It's yeah. a little more high-tech, it's, it's more modern, and uh it's a great, great experience. So, yeah, if, you, if you're not doing anything this weekend, come out to the House of Comedy. You know what else he's done? He's kind of picked up, uh, in, in my estimation, and, uh, and and I have friends who own comedy clubs in, in this town, and sometimes I'll get those calls going, why would you say so many nice things about him? And I said, well, I said something nice about you the other day. Uh, he's kind of picked up Mark Anderson's mantle of, of uh, uh, being real, really proactive with local comics. Oh, the, that's nice. The number, the, the, the number of times that I look and see who's on uh, the show that week, you know, because uh, we have guys from his, you guys come in every week, and I'll see who the, and it's always, he's constantly hiring local guys. Good, good. He, he, for a while, he had a local guy help, a couple of different local people help him book the place, who did right, a great right. job, yeah. but uh, um, they're both busy. Uh, Greg Freiler was booking a place, but he's in Europe now doing tours, so uh, he's really picked that up, yeah. you know, because he was a comic himself. So, uh, and he's, he's, you know, he uh, allowed us to do a little workshop up there. You know, uh, he doesn't even, I don't think he knows about it. We just go up there on Saturdays and go into club. I don't think he, does he know that I'm even there? No, I, th I don't think he knows I'm there because I just go into the club. I don't see anybody. The room is dark. Do you break in and do it? Like, is it a legal comedy? I, 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 had, a I, key, like I had a key made. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> no. So he's a he's a great guy. It's a great club. Here's here's the question I want to ask you uh, to wrap. Once again, if you want to see Harlan Williams, and you should want to see Harlan Williams, he is at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, 5350 East High Street. Um, and you can find out uh, more about it by going to houseofcomedy.net, houseofcomedy.net, or going to uh, our website, uh, comedyschoolsradio.com. As a matter of fact, if you're interested in, I, I think I have a couple free passes that I can uh, give out. If you're interested, just... Hit me up, Tony Visick, V-I-C-I-C-H, very common name, uh, on uh, uh, Facebook, 
send me a message and I'll, I'll see what I can do for you. I can. I, I would want you to see this show because this guy's a funny guy. You are a stand-up comic. You are an actor. And what I found out more about you is, is I, is I, because I, I, I go, uh, Shirley asked me, and I go, I go, I, I know Harlan. We did this a long time ago. I've kind of followed his career. You know, I says, I says, we don't really, we've never hung out, but I know him. I know about him. But then I started reading about you, okay? And I got a little deeper into pain. So you're a stand-up comic. You're an actor. You're pitching movies now. Uh, but you do voices for children's shows and Finally, you write books. You write children's books. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so tell us about that for a moment. Well, I write, write and illustrate uh, kids' books, and, uh, you know, it's just something that uh, I've... You've got your own book, your own character, though, uh, uh, a, a dinosaur. Yeah, 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 Lickety Split, the dinosaur. And I've done about nine nine children's books that are, you know, all over the world, and, and uh, you know, I like to write and illustrate them. I, I, I don't do as many as I... I mean, nine's a good number, but I think I would have done a lot more if I wasn't uh, invested in all my other pursuits. Sure. But I'm, I'm just happy that uh, I was able to do them. And uh, I actually have, um, speaking of the animation world, I, I, I think there's a press release coming out next week from Disney, uh, an animated show that I sold to Disney that's going to be hitting the airwaves very soon. So um, I can't actually tell you what it is till the press release next week, but... Uh, it's uh, it's gonna be a really fun, exciting uh, cartoon on Disney Junior for for kids. So. Fantastic! We yeah. and, and, and and our grandkids. I mean, they'll, they'll get a they will get a, a charge out of the fact that we they'll love say, it. Yeah, that we, and, and well, they get a, they'll get a, a charge out of the fact that we know someone from Jake in the Neverland Pirates. That's right. So that, that's that, right. Yeah. You know, it's like uh, my uh, six year old granddaughter asked me because she knows I do this show and I do a lot of stuff, you know, here, and she goes. Are you a star? And I go, it, it's a dim star in a distant oh, galaxy. No, no I, I said, of course, Grandpa's a star. Did you <laughs> ever do anything in in, uh, in a helicopter at one point in your career? Did you? Were you ever like a... No, 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 I never. I, I've done a lot of things in a lot of buildings and uh, You've never, moving vehicles. Okay. I did something weird in a train once. Okay, but no. you never worked like in an industry where you had to be in a helicopter or working in the snow or anything like that, or the no, not a helicopter. I worked in the snow. I, I lived. I grew up in St. Louis. There was snow. Okay, but why? Why? Why am I being asked this question? Because I remember in Toronto, you mentioned you used to you'd done a few gigs up in yeah. Toronto back yeah. in the day, and mm -hmm. I remember. I remember seeing a guy from the States once at a community college right in downtown Toronto, and he did an act, and I, I, it was the only one, one and only time I'd ever seen him, and I, I never got his name, and I, I wondered if, just by fluke, if maybe I had seen you perform. I like, did a community college in Toronto. I don't know if it was that. Huh. I, I used to, I, there was a guy, a local a guy I knew up there who used to call me up whenever I was in that part of the country because I toured for 15 years. That was... Uh, they say careful what you wish for because I'd been a waiter and a bartender in LA and when I heard you can make money as a comic on the road I go I just want to be a road comic yeah so for 15 years yeah I was a road comic that lived in Hollywood right, so right, was kind of weird. Yeah. But whenever I was in Cleveland or, or Chicago or, or anywhere there this guy'd call me up and I'd go over to Toronto I had a funny experience going into Canada once uh, I was three years clean and sober and um, I'm going in and they literally tore my car apart. Oh, geez. And open my toothpaste and go, why are they doing this? And then I looked up and realized that I was wearing a Bob Dylan T-shirt with the sleeves cut off rag and a Grateful Dead hat, and my hair was down on my shoulders. And they go, 
I'm, yeah, yeah, that'll do it. Because the guy's yeah. looking at me going, we got, we got something here. Yeah, there's got to be something. Yeah, yeah. there's got nothing. Oh, my God. Yeah, they should have taken a sample of your blood. They would have found it all. It, yeah, there was still yeah. some, some leftover from... Oh, yeah. Uh, I was an unlicensed pharmaceutical rep on Hollywood Boulevard. Yeah, you were. 83 and 84. God bless. <laughs> so God. here's the question I wanted to yeah, ask you. Yeah, sorry. All right, so um, all these things, do you consider yourself an author, an actor, a writer, an illustrator... Or stand-up comic, or how would you describe yourself? I would say all of it. I'm I'm just fascinated by the arts and and all types of mediums. So I I, I just figure you only come through life once, and and I'm gonna kind of try it all. Why not? Like, what if they told you you could do only one? They said if they said there can be only one, what would it be? If I could only do one, as far as the entertainment industry goes, it would be movies. Okay. Because I, I love stand up, but sadly I, I I kind of realized that I could play, you know, I could sell out Madison Square Garden every night of the week for forty years and do my stand up show. Yeah. And when I'm gone and the people who are at the show are gone, those shows are just ghosts. They're they're, they're memories that yeah. no one will ever remember. And even if they were great, they're they're just they're gone. But with what's great about movies is that lives on forever. You know, there's there's kids that are 14 that today that will watch Dumb and Dumber or something about they Mary will. and see me do what I did and still laugh and still maybe be inspired or still be moved or still think I'm an idiot or whatever. Yeah. But it's like with me, I'll go watch an old Don Knotts or Jerry Lewis movie or even Laurel and Hardy and be like, sure. wow, you know, and... And that's permanent, you know. And and sadly, with stand-up, you know, a lot of people, you know, you could ask someone an hour after you've done your show, what joke did you like? And they'll go, I'm, I, I don't remember. They don't remember what you said. They laughed while they were in there, but a lot of times they don't remember the show. And so <laughs> stand-up comedy shows are kind of like comedy ghosts. Yeah. And so... If I had to do one thing, I think it would be just movies so at least my humor and, and whatever gifts I may have could live on for sure. ever and ever. You know, there were the uh, Eddie Foy was a, a great stand-up comic. Uh, uh, Joey Brown, this is way back, like, you know, uh, uh, vaudeville in 30s and 40s. The only way anybody knows Joey Brown, if they know him at all, is the movie Sinatra did about him, The Joker's Wild. These guys didn't want to do movies. They were quickly, qu just strictly stand-up comics. Okay. You know, uh, uh, and uh, and they're forgotten. And, yeah. and you, you could read about these guys or even I was fortunate enough to know people old enough and I was in Los Angeles long enough to tell you about how great they were. But you're right. They don't remember them, but someone can do something in a film, and it will last forever. Yeah, uh, and it, it's sad because you know there's a, there's there's so many great comedians and so many great performances, and you know personally I've had stand-up shows that I'm like, wow, that's like the best thing I've ever done, and and I did it in front of a bunch of other humans, but when you know when they're gone and I'm gone, it didn't exist, you know, yeah. and so. So movies, uh, like I said, they're they're just like as long as we're a, you know a, a civilization and we're still watching movies, uh, then that stuff will be there forever. So yeah, we were watching old movies last night. We were watching uh, Red River. So and I, I watch it every Is time. Is that John talking. Wayne? Yeah, John Wayne Montgomery Clift. Yeah. So and uh, yeah, it's like what if all the John Wayne movies were just plays? 
on Broadway. Yeah. And, and bro- the, they closed. They weren't, you know, who would remember John Wayne or Red River, you know? So yeah. that's that's the magic of movies, you know? Yeah, it is. It, it goes, you know, I mean, movies made in the 40s or 50s, you watch it. It's, yeah, a lot of people, dis, they, they diss John Wayne. A lot of people find it hard to believe that I love John Wayne, but I love John Wayne. And uh, uh, I, r- last night, Red River came on. I was flipping channels. Yeah. And I went, damn it. And, she, and my wife goes, what? I go, now I got to watch it. It's on. Yeah. You know. Well, whether you, what I love about movies is whether you love it or hate it, whether it's good or bad, it, it's there. Like I watched for the first time in my life, I watched the original black and white version of Invasion of the Body Snatcher. Oh, with and, uh, Kevin McCarthy. Yeah. yeah. And, and that movie's been around forever. I've never seen it. And I watched it. And what's amazing is, you know, Kevin McCarthy was the star and he went on to do other things. But everyone else in that movie never did anything else but no. yet i found myself watching the movie and going wow that girl that he's acting with existed like that girl who is she what was her life like like yeah what did she do in between that's scenes? the writer part who, of you that, that yeah that. who yeah. was her boyfriend what, yeah. how did she die like and, and you know all those people that i never would have known existed that are now ghosts they're, they're, they're there and i'm thinking about them and i'm seeing them and i'm experiencing a part of their existence on this mortal plane and that fascinates me do you do this because i'll do this uh, uh, so last night we we're watching red river and uh, um the uh, the the adopted son of john wayne if you know the movie okay if you know the movie it's played by two characters it's played by a kid who plays him when he's young and montgomery clift as an adult right and that was montgomery clift's first movie people were concerned <laughs> when montgomery clift being able to do the movie because he a he was from new york b he was gay uh, people were concerned that he was a little skinny guy. Sure. How was he going to stand up to John Wayne? But he was such a marvelous actor. And, and John Wayne, in that regard, was not the uh, monster that a lot of people think that he was. Yeah. So uh, and and was really really helpful with the Montgomery Cliff when he realized that he was working with a good actor doing his first film. But the guy who played the kid, my wife she goes, "What happened to him?" And I go, "You know, I don't know. I've been watching this movie my whole. That's one of my. I raised my daughter. A lot of people thought my daughter should have been taken away from me." By social services, sure, yeah, I, I raised see that. a little, <laughs> a little girl in Los Angeles that I raised to love John Wayne movies. Cool, you know, she loves the LA. It, it, someone told me when she was little, you got to have something that will carry over into adulthood because you'll grow up and she'll grow up and do separate things. And I raised her to love John Wayne movies and the LA Clippers. Next week, I'll see a Clippers game with her in Los Angeles. Right. So, um, but I, I go, I've been watching this movie my whole life. This is one of my daughter's favorite movies. So I, I will I will now, because you can do that, I will go in and immediately research the minor characters. Right, that's what I'm talking yeah. about. Like, they, e- even though they're minor characters, they, they exist and they, they affect you, you know? Yeah. And it's like, that's the magic of movies and that I'm, I feel fortunate to, to have been able to, you know, be in that part of my career and, and that... You know, it, it it's 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 a rare thing, and and to be able to to leave something like that behind to me is is really c- cool. You know, but what's even cooler is going back to your daughter. That's the type of thing like what you instilled in your daughter, like as as a guy dating, like that's the type of thing you gave your daughter. That if I was like dating your daughter, and all of a sudden she goes, "Yeah, I love John Wayne movies," I would go. Wow, I really like this girl. Like yeah. That, like, that's an odd little side thing that not the average girl would ever say. And I love it when you find that when you're dating. You find things in, sure. in people that that you go, oh, wow, that's like such an odd but cool thing. Well, oddly enough, my wife, who's sitting next to you. Yes, who, in, in beautiful. The whole, this beautiful. Whole room, a lot prettier than you, by uh, the much, way. Much, much prettier than me. 
uh, th this whole thing, uh, I, I just yap into the machine. She, I told her one time, I go, I want my own internet. If you're over 50, I have an internet-based radio station. If you're under 50, I have a podcast. Uh, <laughs> I says, we want our own. And she, and she disappeared into one of our home offices and came out a couple months later and goes, here's your station. So, but she, she's a John, <laughs> nice. her father is yeah. a John Wayne fan. Oh, wow. And has John Wayne pictures in the house. So, and we live now in a little town outside of Phoenix and we live off of John Wayne Parkway. Oh, geez. So it's, but that she likes John Wayne. And so then her dad likes John Wayne. And, yeah. He's all, yeah. Her dad yeah. was a, was a, hor was a horseman. So he loved That's John fun. Wayne. And it, her dad is the coolest guy. His name's Alfonso. He's like in his eighties and uh, he's very quiet now, but you go to family gatherings and people will tell stories. And I was sitting there with uh, one of the family members sometime ago. One time we were hunting, and Alfonso was on a horse with no shirt on, and all the way across the canyon, the other side was a deer, and his horse was running real fast, and he shot the deer on a moving horse and took the deer down, and it was just the most incredible thing we ever saw. And he's sitting there real quiet, and I look at him, and he goes, it is true. I shot the deer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that was it. And then he went back to staring off, you know? But uh, <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I gave him a John Wayne picture for his birthday that he has hanging in his house. Aww. So it's kind of what, I, I think that's the only reason that my wife and I are together. Yeah, that's, is, a, that's is, uh, a John Wayne. Thread, yeah. yeah. If it wasn't for that, there's yeah, nothing. Well, that's what I mean. You pass that <laughs> on to your daughter, and she'll probably meet a guy that finds that so cool. and uh, Maybe they'll get married. You so know, right, you right wing, left wing, method acting, comedy, uh, if you don't like John Wayne, there's something wrong with you. Well, what's interesting, I have a similar story with my father. God bless him. He instilled in me the, a love of uh, John Wayne Gacy, which is just <laughs> wonderful. And I'm hoping to meet a girl that just loves serial killing. Um, too soon? <laughs> Tie it in with someone 9-11, and I think you got something for your next special. We got to go, man, and we're on, we, we feel sad we have to. I have, uh, there we go. We got sound effects today. We had George Michael in the room. We had Bernie Sanders oh, in the room. Oh, we're coming out of a tea bag. Well, yeah. <laughs> this, is, this has been Harlan Williams. He is at Rick Bronson's House of Comedy, 5350 East High Street. Two shows tonight, Friday. Two shows Saturday. One show Sunday. You can find out all about it by going to houseofcomedy.net. Harlan, thank you very much. Thank you. And don't forget the uh, Harland Highway at harlanwilliams.com. Check out my podcast. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We'll be right back.